Hello and welcome. I'm Sofiko and this is Creative Minds Speaking, a podcast where I have conversations with creative industry professionals, bringing into the spotlight those incredible people who are behind the scenes of art and entertainment is the main goal of this podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to chat with Zoe Schneider. Zoe is a community manager at Harmonics Music System. She's a public speaker. She's cooperation strategist at Jazz Cafe. And she does so many things at the same time. I don't know how she can manage all that. <laughs> and she has so much experience already. Uh, I couldn't put it all together in one intro. But hi, Zoe. Thank you for being here. And I can't wait to hear your story. <laughs> Hey girl, that's a, I think that's a perfect intro. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here talking with you. Likewise, so happy to have you. So if you're ready, let's start. Let's do it. Uh, could you could we start with your background maybe? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up outside of Chicago uh, in Illinois, and then I went to Boston for school. I did my undergrad at Berkeley uh, in music business management and music technology. And then I did my master's degree with you in, uh, at Berkeley in Valencia and obviously did global entertainment music business, but I also studied on a contemporary-based performance track. So I guess that's, that's the short end of it. I don't know, I'm 24. I don't know what else you want to know, but that's a little bit, I guess. <laughs> no, that's great. Thank you. Uh, so why did you decide to pursue the degree in music industry? Yeah, um, well... I, my family really, really values education. So my, both my parents are scientists and my brother actually went and did his degree in physical therapy and got his DPT in that and, you know, an advanced degree and everything. So I knew I wanted to study music and I didn't really have a choice whether or not to study it in a traditional or non-traditional way. So it was sort of like, okay, you want to do music, we'll let you do that, but you're going to go to college to do it. You're not just going to go, you know, start working at some club downtown or something. So it was a mix, I think, of just, you know, those societal expectations that a lot of us have. That's like whether your family really values school or work or whatever it is, just sort of that push you get from them and then sort of finding the the stuff to fill it that's more important to you. So it was like going to university was always an option. I mean, I was actually kind of shocked when I got to Berkeley because so many people are older students because it is like such a specialized program that I think it really benefits you to have that self-awareness of like, I know I want to do this. I've gone to community college or I've gone to school before and sort of got my gen eds out of the way so I can really focus on music. And it, it was shocking to be around so many mature people that were really there and were super about the work. Because for me, I was just some dumbass kid straight out of high school that was like, oh, I have to go to college and I'm going to study music. So where should I do it? And like, you know, obviously Berkeley was the dream school and it, it's what I'd wanted for a long time. But it was very much this sense of like, I have to go to school. Okay, now what? You know, and after that, it was very open-ended. So I had always been a performer since I was like a little girl and started singing when I was, you know, two, three years old and dancing and like always had been in theater or music or whatever or band or something. Um, so I knew music was going to be a part of my life. And then I got into my dream school and that was kind of a wrap on it. It was like I got my Berkeley acceptance letter and stopped caring about pretty much everything else. And it was just like, all right, this is my track. Um, when I went, I actually I thought I was going to study Uh, music production and engineering, which is a very technical, very, you know, tech heavy proficiency that I am not super naturally inclined uh, in. So 
the second I got to Berkeley, it was like, ah, that's not actually what I want to do. And and through a couple of different life experiences, I guess I got aligned with the music business program and just sort of went running down that path. So you're saying that in the beginning you were thinking of maybe being a performer and doing like engineering part, and then you realized that maybe business is something that suits you better. Yes. Well, it, it, so when I was like in high school, I guess, and thinking about like, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? Cause that was kind of the question everybody gives you, right? Like, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? It's like, there's this very false in my mind now that I'm a little older, this false sense of you have one job and one career path and you pick it when you're a kid and you do it for the rest of your life. So I had said, I want to work with artists. I want to surround myself with people I love who are talented and help bring their visions come to life. Um, and that's still true. I just thought that the way to do that, you know, in the movies and in media, you always see this engineer behind a cool big soundboard and they're this hit producer and they're working with the artists and they're going to shows with them and blah, blah, blah. And so in my mind, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to sort of be the glue that brings all these different moving pieces together. Um, and because of the expectation I had about what that looked like, in my mind, it was a producer. It was the engineer that sits behind the soundboard making those decisions. But once I got to Berkeley and started, you know, understanding the actual roles and what they look like, it I realized that I still wanted to do what I said I wanted to do. I just realized the name for it was an engineer. It was more of a artist manager or or a producer for a specific project or an event producer, you know, production manager. There's like so many different terms for it. And all of them do fall, even engineers fall under this huge umbrella of music business, right? Like you can be the best sound engineer in the world. And of course, nowadays with technology, it's much more possible to do it from your home, but it is hard to do it on like a major or commercial scale without the support of these companies, Sony, like major labels, major artists that have connections with major labels or major distribution partners, et cetera. So I think some of like the most savvy engineers I know are really tuned into music business, right? Like it's all connected. So I think I just realized there was a lot more freedom in a more general side of the industry rather than getting really good at a technical proficiency that actually wasn't the avenue I needed to take to get to the job I wanted to do. Like, like I said, I did study, I did my minor in music technology. So I have a very, very basic understanding of like recording techniques and, you know, mi engineering, mixing, mastering, like those sorts of things, you know, video production, those sorts of classes. Um, and they've served me really well as a music business person because I don't need the super in-depth things. I need just like the one or two, like I need to know the terminology so I can articulate it to the engineer or I need to know you know, if I'm helping an artist with a home setup or a home recording setup, very much like relevant to today's circumstance, um, I have those skills, which in my mind falls way more under music business rather than like music technology. So I, I always wanted to do the same thing. I just realized what that thing actually was once I got around people who were doing it. Mm -hmm. Love it. So currently you're working at Harmonix Music Systems. Mm -hmm. uh, could you please talk a little bit in general what the company is about and what are your responsibilities there? Yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm a community manager, so I handle a lot of the social and like media side of things. I work on the publishing team at Harmonix, which Harmonix itself is a video game dev studio. We, we make video games. Uh, we've made titles like Dance Central, Rock Band, the original Guitar Heroes, most recently Fuser, which is a music mixing game. Um, and Fuser is my main title that I work on. So that's been super exciting. And what Fuser is, like I said, it's, it's a music mixing game where essentially we've taken stems from some of the most popular songs throughout, you know, current musical history, uh, we've separated them into four parts. And then you're able to use, you know, either your keyboard or a controller to mix up those parts into new creations, into new songs. So it's a super, super cool video game that sort of is this bridge between the video game industry and the music industry, because at Harmonix, we only make music video games. It's it, 
totally dedicated to the pursuit of like delighting the world through music gameplay. Um, so that's, that's some of what we do at harmonics and my responsibilities really, like I said, it's, you know, handling social media, handling outreach, handling our relationship with, or, or, you know, contributing to our relationship with PR, doing press tours, demoing the game, creating content for social channels, um, sort of serving as that like first line of communication between the people who are like, the players, the community and the the publisher, which is NCSoft, which is a different company that's done a lot of amazing work and a lot of amazing games. And then the developer, which is us, Harmonics. Um, we all do a little bit of everything, right? Like Harmonix is an independent game studio. So we're not like one of the majors. So I think like most music industry jobs, period, it's one of those situations where like my job is community manager, but I do a thousand things that are really close to that and a thousand things that are really different from that. It just sort of depends on depends on the day and what's needed, which is really good for me because I'm not somebody who can go just like do the same task every day and, and be satisfied. Like that versatility is really important to me. So some days I'll be streaming a game with the community. Some days I'll be recording videos all day. Other days I'll be setting up the in-game promotions, the activity feeds, like on the back end or writing blogs or it really can be anything. I mean, all the way until, you know, when we were launching the game, we had a live event with Diplo. So one of my jobs was training his team, like how to play this video game and helping promote that actual event that we were doing. I uh, got to do some streaming with Live Nation and just uh, with IGN, the international game, and it, just like really cool stuff that um, that's been super rewarding because it's like, you know, you and I went to school together. So, you know, that like, if on graduation day, you would ask me like, Zoe, what are you going to do? You know, I wouldn't have said work at a video game company. Like, you know, that's not what would have come out of my mouth. And, you know, two months later I was there and it was like, so how did you end up there? <laughs> you never even um, working there? Yeah. So I, so like you said, I also have a job as a key operations strategist for a company called Jazz Urbane, which is a small uh, jazz label based in Boston. And we are actually, well, this has been a trip because the the company's actually opening a cafe in Nubian Square in Boston um, and has this really beautiful space and it's in partnership with the city of Boston to really invigorate the black art scene in the city. Um, so it's a really exciting project that we are planning on launching fall of last year. So you can imagine how those plans got derailed quite a bit given the global circumstance with COVID and, and everything going on. So we've obviously had to hold off on the in-person and building plans for a cafe, but um, still in the works, just sort of waiting on when we can do it safely and, and you know, when we can just be around people, period, to make something like that happen. But in the meantime, there is a there is a jazz label that has a ton of really incredible artists, most re recently in collaboration with um, uh, Donald Harrison, who's just this legendary sax player from New Orleans. And he's uh, had a recent release, Watermelon Man, and uh, it's done very well. So that's been super exciting. But that's a long way to say I had another job with a company. And I was planning on going back to Boston to work with them. And, you know, it's so funny to look back at it now, but I remember I just came home from Spain, literally just came home a couple days before I was sitting in my, in my bedroom at my parents' house. And, um, I just felt this, like, you know, so just look for, an, just look for another gig. Like, just look, you know, not like, oh, I need this job. Like I had a job. There was just this sense of like, you know, Jazzerbane's good, but, and it's a company I've worked with for years. You know, I, I, I've, 
started with them when I was an undergrad. So it's been almost six years now of, of working with them. So it's a company I'm super comfortable with. I have a really good relationship with the founders and I, I really love the work, right? Like it's all about the music. It's all about empowering young artists and like really just sort of amplifying a, a really special sound that comes out of young people in Boston and young jazz musicians, period, wherever they're located. So I just, um, I really love that work, but there was just this calling in me to find something a little more traditional, you know, because I work with them sort of on a consulting basis. So it's not like a typical nine to five. It's really on my own schedule. And it can be it can be full, like fully engaging sort of almost full time work, or it can be on a project to project basis, just based on like, what's happening? Do we have any releases coming out? Or is this sort of a time where we're focused more on live shows, which obviously we're not now, but there was a time when that was true. So it really just depended. And I, I just felt my intuition tell me to find something secure. Um, so I, I started looking for, for different opportunities and, you know, I was just literally sitting in my bed scrolling on LinkedIn and I saw this opening at harmonics and I, I had a friend who had worked there and this is somebody who I really respect, really admire. Like they are somebody who really inspires my own trajectory as a intermediary in music business. So, you know, I figured like this company has to be worth something. If, if this person's been there and stayed there and has grown to who they are, like there's something to this place. Right. So I just, I called her up and I was like, Hey, you know, I I saw this opening. I I don't know. I I would just love to get your opinion on the company. And she was like, Oh my God, like they would love you. You would love it here. Like this makes so much sense. Like if you do want to apply, you know, go ahead and send your resume and, you know, I'll let the person, the hiring manager know to look for it in the inbox. So it was sort of this mix of like dumb luck, this like gut feeling of intuition that like, thank God I followed because obviously this, that last year went totally different than any of us expected it to. Um, and so, yeah, I sort of ended up there randomly, you know, and I think that that's an important thing to note too, though, is I did end up getting a job that's in the music industry. I work with music every day. We work with music publishing. Obviously you can imagine publishing and rights management for a music video game is a whole like rabbit hole that you can go down. So it's really like, really uh, synced up with the subject matter that I did pursue in in my degree. So that feels good to like find something in my industry. But I think it's important to note that like that was in some ways dependent on those relationships I had made while I was pursuing that degree, right? Like I think that it would be foolish to not acknowledge that it was not only my resume and my work ethic and how I presented myself, but like getting your foot in the door is no joke, you know, like it's really hard to do. Like the difference between my resume getting reviewed, even and just sitting in an inbox was the fact that I knew somebody who could vouch for me. And like, that is something that always really frustrated me when people are like, Oh, how'd you get to your job? And be like, well, I applied and I got it. It's like, no dude, like you are cousins with the CEO you know, or whatever it is, you know, <laughs> don't lie to me. Like <laughs> that's not the whole story. Um, But, you know, this is somebody who I met at Berkeley, which when Mm -hmm. we go back to your original question, like, why did I pursue school? Yes, it was because I came from a family where it was like not pursuing a degree wasn't really something that I had an opportunity to to think about if it was best for me. Um, But when I decided that I was going to do it anyways, like a huge advantage of that is like the relationships you're making. And like, for me, I'm in a really, really blessed sort of professional environment now and like position and like a big component of that is the fact that I had, I had the community to call upon to like get references. Like, is this a good place? You know, otherwise you're spending all this time and energy doing this resume for a place you're going to be miserable at. Like mm-hmm. I had the insight to know that it would work for me. And I had the support to, you know, have somebody vouch, which made a huge difference. Like that's just fact. And, you know, at the same time, like I, I 
did the work, you know, this person vouched for me because they know me and they know if I do a project, I'm going to do it really well. And that if they put their seal of approval on me that I would like respect that and make them look good too. But um, yeah, how did I get the job? Finding it at the right place at the right time and, and, and connections. Like I think honest to God, most people who find work in music, that's how they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And thank you for your very honest answer on this, because that is so true that you need to know people in this industry. Yes. So you mentioned something about the publishing side mm -hmm. and it, um, I don't know if we can, but can you talk a little bit on how it all works with your company? Like, um, um, so obviously there's some like stuff that I can't get into the specifics of it, but it, it's interesting because as I mentioned, harmonics, the, the gaming company that I work for, they created the original guitar hero, um, one and two, and then also the rock band that is like global worldwide huge video games right um but something that's interesting is like you know as I was sort of doing marketing for Fuser is like Fuser is an entirely new concept there's there's one other game that Harmonix made that sort of has some of the same technology called Drop Mix but no other studio has really done what we've done and in a video game been able to take stems from all different songs and put them together into one creation and you're it's like you're a live DJ happening in real time right so You can imagine with any new IP, any new intellectual property, right? Anything that's conceptually not tried and true in a business sense is super hard to be like, to get people to commit to, right? For them to say, like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Let me give you the stems of my life's work of my biggest songs that are most important to me. And you can just make it into something, whatever you want. Just let anybody change it up and have these like super sacred things. Like anybody in music knows stems are sacred, you know, like that is a re and it makes sense. Like, If somebody, oh my God, if somebody took my songs and took my raw vocals, like, hell no, I would never give somebody approval to do that. That is way too vulnerable. Like, uh-uh, I'm, I'm good on all that. So just, just one, I think the biggest thing, and this goes back to what I was saying about even how I got this job. Like if we want to talk about, you know, tools for success in music industry, it's relationship management. And I say that because how does publishing work? Well, Harmonix has a track record of making exceptional products that respect the sanctity of that music. So when we go to rights holders and say, hey, we have a new idea, they're way more inclined to at least hear us out, even if they can't get down with it or they can't convince certain artists to, to sign off on it or rights holders, whoever. Um, there's this really exceptional thing at Harmonix where it's like, hey, have you heard of Guitar Hero? Well, you know, if, if that's something that sounds familiar to you, you might be interested in this other opportunity. So like, How does it work? One, we have an amazing publishing team that has been doing this work for over 10 years in, in music and in video games. And like, they know what they're doing. They know, they know the, the trends of the industry. They know what music does well in video games. They understand the do's and don'ts of marketing with that. They understand the do's and don'ts of just that like relationship management with the rights holders, like with the, you know, whoever that might be. So I think one is just like, that that component of it just the that the company has the track record to say like we can do this and we can do it well um because that's like the hardest part you know sony universal warner they don't just let anybody take the stems of their song and manipulate them into something totally different and unique um that being said you can imagine the process is quite expensive um you know licensing music for anything is expensive that's just the way of it that's where especially now that nobody's touring that's where people are making money right like sync is sort of everything or license it or whatever it's for so um it is expensive i can't go into like specifics of like what the deals are between artists or or, or labels etc but um it's definitely 
it costs money to get involved with it, but it's because you're taking something incredibly precious and using it for your own advantages, right? So like it's it's worth every penny, but like it's it's a very long process because as you know, like some songs can have 10, 15 people that need to sign off even on the idea of it being used, let alone how much everybody's getting paid and who's getting paid and all those things. So uh, it is, it's a, it, I won't pretend to be the authority on it either. Like that isn't in my daily job. I'm not having those negotiations, but I'm around the people that are and I'm helping them and then art- and then communicating those, the, the results of those conversations, right? So it's like, how can we talk about songs on social media? How can we do these different things, you know, with this music that we've now earned rights to? What's within those rights, essentially? You have to be super aware of those in ways that even coming with a background in music business, it's like, oh, okay, yes, like heightened, heightened, heightened consideration of of these, you know, however many things because just licensing is like no freaking joke. And I don't need to tell you, like we both sat in those classes, yeah. like, wait, say that, like, say that one more time. Just say, just say it one more time slower, you know, like it's a complicated topic alone, but um, something that obviously at a video game company that makes only music games, it's a daily conversation that we're having, which like, I'm really grateful for. Cause I, I dead ass, I learned something new every single day. That's like, maybe I understood it conceptually, but I had to have somebody like slow it down and say it slower when it was in class, but then it's right in front of your face. You're like, oh, this is why this dumb rule exists that made no sense to me out of context. But now that I'm doing it professionally, like, okay, that I I get it now. It's great. Thanks, Pete. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And thank you for telling us how it works. Uh, Now let's talk about something different. I really want to talk with you about the fact that you worked with Solange, Mm -hmm, (laughs) like you mm -hmm. worked with her tour manager. Um, So basically, I just want to know everything about this. Okay, okay. Uh, Well, another perk of being at a place like Berkeley, right? Like, I maybe said this earlier, I don't know, but you know, we can talk about the traditional trajectories into any professional career, which is very often higher education, right? Like getting your degree in it, wherever you do, like doing that. And then there's people that really do just like go into the industry, you know, like there's never this moment that you're like, I got a college degree from Berkeley. I'm a music business person now. Like, no, you just are when you sort of decide you are. So I really think that both avenues are really valid. But when I look at my own experience and I look at what happened at Berkeley, it's the fact that you're surrounded by people who are doing the same thing. So you're building connections all the time just by your natural relationships that are available to you, right? Like you're in music business, your classmates are the people you're going to hang out with and all of them are going into music business. So it's like you just get connected to all these different different sort of parallel industries without trying because you're in that environment. Like in my opinion, that's the biggest advantage that I went to school for is the fact that like I made the kind of connections that just by naturally making friends and being around people that shared interests, you're also growing that like Rolodex, you know, and I don't say that like malicious, oh, we're always networking me. Like, no, it's just like you build authentic connections. And when opportunities come up, they think of you because you're just in that circle. So like huge advantage of Berkeley was just like you're paying for the Rolodex to be around where the action is happening. Right. So how did it happen? Somebody at Berkeley who I was, you know, friends with, they had previously worked with the, they were actually, I think they worked for a different company that maybe hired interns for this, for the tour that Solange was doing or, or something. Um, but, you know, she just posted a super cryptic Facebook message, actually, and a different friend of mine saw it and she knew what she was talking about. And she's like, I can't tell you anything, but, you know, message her for this opportunity. You won't regret it. And I was like, 
okay, like I trust you. So I'll hit her up and just see what's up. So I texted her, I was like, hey, like I'm available. It was like, who's available for these dates in Boston, whatever. Like this girl was living in LA at the time and they were launching from there. So whatever, you know? And I was like, oh, like, yeah, like I'm around. Let me know what you need. And she was like, oh, you'd be perfect for this. I'm gonna put you in touch with somebody. You'll love it. And I was like, okay. So uh, she put me in touch with the, the tour manager, Lucia, who is this awesome, freaking awesome, just like nice, humble, very real, straight up, hardworking individual. Like she is so cool and somebody that I'm really happy that I had a chance to like meet and connect with. And, and you know, we just got to talking and she was down and I had a license and they needed somebody to drive. And like, it was like all these things just lined up and um, ended up helping out with the Boston and just sort of East Coast leg of the tour with just some like different arrangements. And then since just, you know, sort of stay in touch with Lucia, who does, you know, different tours. She's worked with like Tyler Perry and other, you know, other traveling acts that um she is just like, whoo, she's a force to be reckoned with. She is a boss. And uh, it was really cool working with her. It was it was interesting because at the time when I worked with her, I was going through this like identity crisis. I was like, I don't want to work in music business. Like, ah, oh, why did I just spend all this time and money on this degree for a job I don't even want to do? And I met her and it was like, it was both reassuring and sort of, uh, I don't know, disheartening. Cause I, I looked at her and she's just this like hardworking tour manager sleeps with her cell phone is on the road for what, like nine out of the 12 months of the year. And the three months that she's home, she's preparing to go on the road again and like sleeping overnight on cars and buses and hotels that are an hour and a half away from the venue they're performing at because she only has so much budget that she has to be responsible for and figure out and the stipends and yada, yada, yada. And I just looked at her with total amazement. Like, I don't have it in me. Like, I'm so happy I did this because I know I don't want this job. Like, thank God. And especially because it was with an artist like Solange, it will never be better. There is no possible tour in the world I think I would rather be on than bringing the art of Solange Knowles to life. Like, are you freaking kidding me? That is, in my opinion, truly one of the pinnacles of modern commercial artistry, right? And like, that is just like, as good as it gets. And I think that's what I kept realizing. I kept getting to these places where I was like, this is my dream job. Why am I unhappy? Like, <laughs> This is the best case scenario and I'm not having a good time. Maybe I need to rethink some of where I'm investing my time and energy. Um, and you know, that's nothing against the two or anything that like, it was amazing. I mean, oh, oh my God. Like it was, I, I tell you everything about it. Stuff's like coming back to me as you tell me. I mean, like one I've never felt so much pressure or stress in my life than driving Solange. I was like, I, I will never be responsible, more responsible for anything. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I, it, it's like, I, I, you hear me stuttering. Like, I have words for everything. And there, I was like, just in her presence. And like, it's like, you smell so good. I can't say that out loud. That's so creepy. Like, I low-key got lost when I was driving, but I had to play it off and look cool. It was just like, oh, that was that kind of responsibility you know Wait, you're did like, you guys sing in the car did you talk no you no, no 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 I was dry I mean she literally just come out from her show and was going to her hotel like I wouldn't want somebody to be talking to me if that was the case you know like shut up drive me like uh, this isn't fan hour club you know which I think is a part of like how you have to be when you're in those opportunities you know you can't be acting a fool even though you know I got home and was acting stupid actually I, I don't think maybe Lucia will never hear this, but I definitely, there was like some used ginger in her dressing room that Solange had used for tea. And as we were leaving, I just took it. I just took it. I dried it. I still have it in my house. And I know that's low key unprofessional, but 
I needed to do what I felt I needed to do. And you know what? Lucia's never gotten on me about the missing ginger. So I think that it was okay with everybody. But yeah, that was my like one, I'm really uncool in this moment. But there were also these like other thousand tiny moments where I was like, oh my God, this is my dream. I, I, I steamed the costumes before they went on stage. And, and, and in some ways I, I, I knew this wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. You know, I was, I'm not, no, no, that's not what I got my degree to do. But there was also the sense where it was like, yes, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Because when I watched Lange perform, it is those crisp, tiny little minuscule details that, that make it stand out. You know, it's the fact that her background vocalists seem like they're just this smooth, like velvet, their outfits just float in the wind. And it contributes to this ethereal vibe that Solange and her group and her band gives out. And it was like, this dumb ass task, like steaming something, which I would never do at home. I never want to do at home. I'd never be excited about it. And I was doing it and I was like, I, I take so much pride in this. Like this isn't little work to me. This is a big deal. Like these are the details that are the difference between okay and excellent, you know? And like, maybe that's me just hyping myself up or, you know, finding a way to justify doing a remedial task. But um, there is a sense where you realize like, oh, like, I am living my dream in this moment, even doing like tiny little things. And when you can find joy in those like really small things, I think that you're at least on the right track, even if you're not doing the exact right thing. You know, I knew I do not want to do tours for the rest of my life, but I was so grateful for that experience because it mattered. The work I did matter, the experiences that I had during that time matter, the people I met, like the, the way that I grew as, as an intermediary and just like, you know, artists like Solange, they last because they're good, like good people, good, great talent, you know, like I think something people talk about a lot is like how schemey and gross people are in the music industry and how there's, there's such bad people and, uh, you know, it's like, that's not the case. Like the best artists are surrounded by the best people because you have to want to work with people again to sustain a career. So like when you're working with people at that caliber, I find that's when you're around the nicest, most professional, most chill group of people, you know, it's, it's the lesser established acts, I think, where people are sort of looking out for themselves and trying to cut corners and be, you know, clever or whatever it is, where I find when you get to the top, it's like, that's where the people who found a way to be authentic and just keep their head down and do the work, that's like where they end up, you know, and just that experience too. And having, you know, an ongoing relationship with that caliber of people, I think was a really important thing for me at that point in my career, because I didn't want to work in music business. I'd gone to this billboard event in LA and just had the worst time and felt like I was surrounded by really fake relationships. And I just like, didn't, it left a really bad taste in my mouth. And it was like this amazing experience in Beverly Hills and with free open bar and with free meals and like celebrities and all these high, you know, moving movers and shakers of the industry. And I, I thought that's where I will feel at home. I'm going to feel so excited and happy. And you know, maybe I didn't feel at home because I hadn't earned my spot there yet. I was just there as an observer rather than a participant. But I also didn't feel at home because like, I wasn't happy. And it was like the sense of like, am I going to spend 20 years working towards this to feel the same way? And then I, I got connected with the Lucia's team, Lucia Ash, I got I got in touch with her team. And like, being around her was really refreshing, because it was like, oh, I can hold on to my humanity and be successful. Like, I don't need to be shady. I don't need to be calculating or manipulative. Like, I can be an honest, hardworking, authentic, good person and find the other people who want to find success doing it the same way. It's so important. It's so important. And it's very, sometimes I, while working with the um, 
artist management company mm -hmm. also met some people who are just like faking and trying to be cool when they're not right. and then there is some cool people who are actually cool and just hardworking, and they're yeah. the humblest the nicest people so i totally feel you and yeah i mean i important. I am not cool. And that's something I genuinely had to reckon with when I first got into the industry is like, I am not the girl drinking brown liquor in the corner of the dimly lit place that's just, ooh, giving off a vibe. And oh, that's probably an AR person. Look at them in their leather jacket being so chill and like subdued. And oh, their mystery makes me want. I am not mysterious, bro. You know who I am out the jump. Like it is, I don't hide anything. I am I can be very loud. I can be very opinionated. Like I am who I am. And and that is another thing that I really wanted to talk to you about is that you're, you are very proactive. You're a public speaker. Mm -hmm. You have this beautiful energy around you that um, I feel like people might not know you, but they know what you're sent for. Mm. So my question is, how do you maintain your values and individuality and like, how do you bring all this into your career? Mm. Well, I, like I was just saying, one, in my mind, those are the people who make it to the top. And I don't mean that way in the, like the top of the charts or the top of the financial stepping ladder. Or what, like, I don't mean the top. I mean, people that are like doing good work that is received by people and it matters to them. And like, they're able to continue doing it. Like in my mind, success is like, you know, you find something that you enjoy and you find a way to make a living by doing that thing. And and sometimes that's not right. Like, I don't think your passion has to be your career for it to be valuable. But like, in my mind, when I see people who are at this top of their game, we could call it that, whether it's they're just super proficient on this instrument or they've done this really cool show or they work with this really cool artist, I find it's because they stayed true to themselves. They were never trying to do what people around them were doing. They were doing their own thing regardless of what people around them were doing, but they kept doing it, right? Like, it's this, it's this mix of like, you find your thing, sure, that's hard alone, but then you keep doing your thing. And that's the hardest part, you know? I mean, how many stories do you hear about, you know, I think it was Jingle Jangle, that, that Christmas movie that recently came out. I heard something like that guy had been working on the story since the 90s. And it took that long to find somebody who would actually put it out. And then it was received as one of like, you know, the best movies. And, you know, don't quote me on any of those facts, but like that concept of like, sometimes the world isn't ready for what you're offering. Or sometimes you're just in the wrong space with what you have. You know, some people are not willing or able to receive you and, or all of you. And like, that's okay. You're not meant to be in every room, you know? But I, I think that one, realizing that early on, that like, if I'm going into rooms where I feel like I need to change or sacrifice parts of myself to find success, I'm not in the right room. And there's so many places you can be in the world that like, you don't need to stay in those environments, right? And I think the other part of it is just like, my own lived experience, you know, I'm a, I'm a young, gay, black, genderqueer person, you know, like, I have sat at these intersections of marginalized identities for my whole life. And there is this sort of like, I don't know, this, because of that, I don't think I found immediate acceptance in a lot of the spaces I was entering as I went there. So I found that I had to continue to present what I have to offer, regardless of how people receive it and then make decisions about how I want to engage after I notice how people receive it, right? So it's like, you know, I I can't I can't help that I'm black and I wouldn't if I could, you know? Like I that's one of the things I'm most proud of and I I love that that gets to be a piece of my identity and my culture and like my my pride in myself. And there are going to be spaces I enter where that is not safe for me or people will treat me differently because of that or 
whatever. And that's not excluded to your career, right? So like if you're experiencing that as a little kid, if you're going to be happy, you need to learn really quick to like separate your sense of self with other people's perception of who you are. So I think just um, that like survival, like, you know, that instinct of like, I'm not going to find happiness through the approval of other people. I need to deliver it to myself first and, you know, let people be a part of that or not and let go of it and not really be bothered by it. It's like, I am not really pressed about what people think of me in most rooms that I, and I mean, that's not the way to say it. Like I care what people think. I want to present myself well and I take pride in who I am, but my happiness is not dependent on their acceptance. And I think that, you know, obviously there's levels to it in your career. You have to be professional. You want to be respectful. You want to, you know, maybe not overshare and be inappropriate. And and you have to have that sort of emotional intelligence and understand boundaries and whatnot. But I don't think that those things should dramatically alter who you are. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's not changing the content, it's changing how you package and present it. Um, But I think that my content, for lack of a better word, or whatever, like, that's, that's pretty consistent. That's pretty tried and true and, and tied to who I am. So I don't know if I could super easily separate those things if I wanted to. Um, and I don't think there's a need to, cause you know, I'm, I'm looking to be my full self wherever I'm going. Um, and not that that's always possible, but it's what I'm trying to do. So. And people love you for who you are. So it's good that you're not tr- trying to do something <laughs> else. I appreciate that. You know, um, what would you say are your life highlights? My life highlights. Wow. Um, I think that's a good question and wow just I, I don't know it's interesting how much the answers changed over time because you know if you had asked me a few years ago it would have been like getting into Berkeley just getting in period you know like that was not something I, I ever thought that I would achieve and then I got there and I was like oh I was hyping this up way too much <laughs> like everybody here are just people and this is just school and this is not my golden ticket to becoming you know the next billboard woman music of the year like this is just a space there's just some some walls that's filled with exceptional people you know like it's the community that 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 is the most amazing thing and you know, after being there for a while, it's like, oh yeah, I can find that anywhere. You don't have to pay $60,000 to find amazing people. Like, cool. So I think that that has changed a lot. Um, Definitely. I'm really proud of the person I became while I was there though. You know, like it was a super privileged position to be in, to be pursuing a degree at that level and and to just be able to have the lifestyle that I could say, I want to study this. Like I'm going to choose what I'm going to pursue. That in and of itself is also a really advantageous situation to be in. Um, but I am really, really proud of how hard I worked while I was there. And I think that's sort of a highlight to realize that I became the person I wanted to be. Um, and that wasn't like a one day it happened. It was just like, and it's still something that I don't feel every day. But when I do sit and like calm my mind and remind myself about like, okay, like if you told 10 years ago, if you told 14 year old Zoe that she'd be doing what you're doing, how would she feel? And like, I would have lost my mind. You work with Solange? Like, girl, what? Like, you work for a video game company? You play video games all day? Like, what do you, how, what do you mean? That's the coolest job in the world. Like, that's amazing. And I I don't think I would have believed that I was, I am who I am. I wouldn't believe that I went to Berkeley. I wouldn't believe that I went and got my master's from Berkeley. I sure as hell wouldn't believe that I did, I, I went and played bass. Like, that that's a highlight of my life for sure is being a proficient bassist you know like those 
Those are life goals since I was a baby, literally a baby. I wanted to play Lewis Johnson bass lines from Michael Jackson's Off the Wall. And then over the last couple of years, I just did it. And it's like, and I think that that's, 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 I guess what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, playing those bass lines feels really good. But what's the highlight of my life that I'm the kind of person that, that I became the kind of person that would just get up and do those things. You know, whatever my goal is, I think that I, I have a, I, I don't know. I, I'm pretty determined. And like, if I choose, I'm going to do something, even if I maybe fall short of actually doing it, I at least try my damn hardest to to get it done. And that's something I take a lot of pride in because I always saw myself as a really lazy and apathetic person. And I think part of why I've become who I am is compensating for that. Um, I but, would never say that you're lazy. Never. Yeah, right. Like, and I know that that's sort of the sense of like, I, we don't see ourselves how other people see us, right? Like, in my mind, it's like, uh, you're not the president. Like, how, what's wrong with you? You've not done enough. Like, you're so lazy. You're 24. Like, are you kidding me? Like, and, you know, I think that I'm, I'm pretty hard on myself. Um, and I think that's something else I'm proud of is that over the last year, like, especially after leaving school, I've become much more gentle on myself and I've become way better at not, you know, sort of divorcing my sense of self-worth and my accomplishments. You know, if you had asked me two years ago, what are my highlights in life? I would have told you, oh, working with Solange and working with LL Cool J and doing these things and working with this person and traveling to here to do this public speech or, you know, whatever. And not that I'm not proud of those things, but, you know, if I was still finding my sense of self-worth in that during COVID, how would I be mentally and emotionally, right? Like if all I can feel is pride when I'm actually performing or getting affirmation and praise from other people, then I'm, that's not sustainable to me. So I think the accomplishment of my life, I think is getting to a place where I'm okay with being, even if that is in a neutral or, or passive state, you know? And I know that, no, I think that is directly tied to my career because I, think especially when I was in school, I was very consumed by this idea of chasing an end goal of if I just get this job, I'll be happy. If I just work with this artist, I'll feel satisfied. If I can achieve X, Y, Z, if I meet these goals, if, oh, I make this much money or whatever in a year, like that is what success is. Um, and if you live like that, your goalposts are always moving. You're never going to find satisfaction. And I think just being able, even if I'm still working on that and it's not an everyday thing, I think being able to love myself as much as I love other people and be as gentle with myself as I am with other people and as supportive and forgiving. Like that's way harder to me than like meeting a goal, running a marathon. Like, yeah, that's hard, but like that you do it and you're done. This is an everyday practice mm -hmm. talking about like feeling wholesome and feeling satisfied and not needing external things to do so. So I don't know. I think like, and I've not done it. It's not like I'm done and I'm totally one with the universe and happy and satisfied and mentally at peace. No, <laughs> no. No, but no, definitely not. But just There's a lot of work. Yes, so, right. But being the type A hyper driven person that I am to even have that conversation with myself and like sit in that awareness, that to me is like huge growth, huge growth from who I used to be. And I definitely feel mentally healthier and and like I can do what I want to do for longer than I could have before because I'm a little more peaceful and a little less aggressive with those with those efforts. Yeah, and mental health topic is a big topic right mm -hmm. now, and it's for a reason, definitely. Right. If I continued the pace that I was at school, I would not last in music at all. But mm -hmm. being able to prioritize myself along with my work and my clients and my, you know, peers, whoever that is, like, that's uh, that's a huge win. Yeah, definitely. Another question that I have for you is, how would you define success for yourself? Hmm. I think I have asked my question 
asked myself this question more this year than ever before, you know, because like I just said, those goalposts are moving. You know, there was a time when I was like, I want to produce 300 live shows in one year. Right. And it's like, okay, if that was my definition of success, I'd be up a creek without a paddle after 2020, you know, like that wasn't going to happen. And that's through no fault of my own. That doesn't speak to my ability or my work ethic or anything, but that was sort of the mental place that I was in. And I think that success for me is like really evolving in that way, because I don't think I can find it with meeting one goal or achieving one thing anymore. You know, like, I think that it's, um, I don't know. I think it's much more fluid and ongoing for me now. Like, I don't know if I could assign one meaning to it because it's just like multifaceted. There's not like one bar graph that's like, how successful are you? And it's, you know, you're either at a hundred or you're at zero. It's like, there's so many facets in my life, right? Like I'm in a really lovely relationship that requires energy and work. And I find a lot of feeling of success in that just because I'm communicating with somebody and working towards something with somebody else. And, you know, that's a different sense of success than I find in my career, which is very different from what I find with my other relationships or what I find is my, with my own art, my own music. And it's like, I guess success to me means like just taking those things in stride and like trying to do the best that I can at them. But also this, um, I think an umbrella for all of that really is like success to me comes down to the quality of the relationships with people around me. Right. Like, whether that's my partner, whether that's my family, whether that's my friends, whether that's my coworkers or colleagues or peers, it's like, do people feel comfortable around me? Do people feel safe? Do people feel respected? Do people feel loved, excited, entertained? Like, you know, do people feel animosity towards me? Is there something I'm doing that's upsetting a balance or some sort of relationship? And like, that could mean a hundred different things, you know, like whatever it is, I think that Every time I felt successful in my life, though, like truly successful and excited and satisfied about it, it's been when I've when I'm enjoying it with people, you know, whether those are my roommates from college who are like my best friends. And it's like maybe things don't feel great right now, but if I have these supportive, incredible people around me loving me, something's okay, you know, like I'm doing something right or, you know, it's being able to stay in touch with people that are all over the world now, wherever they are, people that I've met and just like you know, sending them love and light and, and maintaining those relationships as, as best we can, given the circumstance and giving everybody's very finite capacity. But like, if I'm surrounded by people that I'm trying to emulate, if I'm surrounded by people that make me feel good, and I make them feel good, like, what, 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 what could you possibly want more of, you know, like, mm-hmm. even if you have everything without that community to enjoy it with, it's not that great, you know, like, it's not worth it, in my opinion, I've been lonely in places that were exclusive. And I thought that that's what would excite me. And it was just isolating, you know? So I think that success is just finding and and nurturing those relationships, I guess. Mm -hmm. I cannot speak for everybody, but I can speak for myself and around you only feel positivity and (laughs) inspiration. So thank you for this. I really appreciate it. Yes. You know, I feel Uh, the same way about you. (laughs) You had me when we, what was it? Uh, do we watch Glastonbury on a projector Yes, once at my house? Like we weren't that close yet. And I was like, let's just watch some Beyonce. And we were both screaming, just like going stupid. Both of us knowing choreo, knowing hair flips. Like I was like, all right, this, this one's real. Like I'm with it. I'm with it. We're going to be friends for life. Definitely one of the best evenings of my life. (laughs) (laughs) 
um, on this, we are wrapping up kind of the official part of the podcast. And yeah. I, I have some very, some like quick questions. So some of them are silly. So just get ready for those. Um, do you have any book, movie and song recommendations for our listeners? <gasps> oh, Sofiko, you can't ask me these things. We're all going to talk for another 45 minutes if you do. Um, song, oh, song, book, movie requests. Well, As you know, Sofiko, I've been really into like conspiracy documentaries and just like historical pieces. Um, really enjoyed The Last Tsar. I was just telling you about this. It's just really, I love a, I love a well put together historical documentary where it's like actors playing it out in real time or cartoons, freaking love cartoons too. Um, and then like historians talking about it. So I've been really enjoying those things while I'm trying to pass some time in quarantine. Um, song recommendations. Ah, what am I listening to recently that is just really, oh, you know what? I, I, I stumbled upon this artist recently that's like not, I mean, I listen to like a lot of various styles of music, so I, I don't really listen to one, but like, I think if you ask most people like, what's Zoe's taste in music? They'd be like 70s soul funk, like music, like Earth, Wind and Fire, Michael Jackson, Luther Vanderose. So like, I, I do really like like, you know, classic like funk, R&B, soul, but I love country. I love, I love pop music. I love classical. Like I really do enjoy all different types of music. Um, and there's this one artist that is, you know, like a kind of bluegrass country feel called Karen Dalton. Um, I'd never heard of her and she was totally around like the Bob Dylan, James Taylor, like Carol King, like amazing singer songwriter, sort of, you know, that, that era of music. And she was like in that scene. And I don't know how I never heard of her. Like it's right up my alley, but oh my God, her songwriting is just like captivating and fucking depressing and like, and really just real and honest and just like uh if you want to feel i would recommend you listen to this person and like you know she's got some really like great just like sort of bluesy hits that are just like you know really she just makes great music amazing songwriter amazing instrumentalist plays the banjo plays the guitar plays like everything and um of course like many artists that time is kind of like a tragic and mysterious story like very janice joplin vibes but like she is like a hauntingly talented and like really incredible uh a musician that i've really been enjoying recently so if you're into that sort of music i would recommend karen dalton uh, a specific song a little bit of rain i have been weeping to this song like just looking out my window like crying over things that haven't happened in my own life you know like uh yes yes but That's that's my jam for something a little more upbeat. Check me out on Spotify. I've got plenty of playlists, but one that I'm very excited about is called Flute. And it's just a playlist of songs that feature my personal favorite instrument, flute. Uh, and they're all fire. Very eclectic sounds, a lot of different artists, but there's a lot of really great danceable tracks in there. So if you're looking to cry, Karen Dalton, if you're looking to party, get in that flute playlist. Find me on Spotify, Zoe Schneider. How about the book? So there's an old book and I super randomly found it. I was like actually in Kenya and like super, like I had nothing to do this one day. So I found, I just picked up this random book that I found and started reading it. Um, and it's called Social Change 2.0. Um, and it's like a blueprint to changing the world or something. And it's not like related to music business. It's not related to, I mean, it's obviously a little outdated too. And, you know, take everything with a grain of salt, but I just remember reading it and it was like really 
just a really great book um, for general concepts of like connecting people and how to communicate with people. And I think one, we could all use some guidance on that these days. Um, but I really appreciated just how how simple it outlined the steps you need to take to implement change, whether that's personally or for a social movement and really like the main thing, how to communicate that to other people. And I think that, you know, people who are listening to your podcast, being interested in music business, being interested in art or just creative in enterprise generally, um, I think I've kind of been saying it this whole time, but like, it's not business it, and it is business, but business is people management and relationship management, right? Like it's all about those like softer skills that are like, how do you make the people around you feel? How do you communicate with them? How do you communicate your ideas to them? And I found that this book, Social Change 2.0, um, helped me rethink some of the ways that I was doing it and and really helped me think outside of my own head. And I mean that in the way that like, you know, you mentioned earlier that like, you know me as somebody who's really passionate or cares intensely about things. And because I'm so passionate about specific ideas or causes or organizations or whatever I forget that people aren't so like in my mind it's like how are you not furious about this how are you not in the streets marching and like throwing your fists in the air and 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 doing something what's wrong with you like and nothing's wrong with these people they just care about different things they just their priorities are not the same as mine and you know I was a bit younger when I read this book for the first time so I hadn't really had a, a I didn't have a deeper appreciation for understanding that everybody's priorities are not your own but I think that this book sort of helped me come back to that of like, okay, how do you communicate with people about something you're super passionate about that is not going to resonate the same to them? You know, like Mm -hmm. that, that's a really important thing is translating between, I know what I feel and I know how honest and true and emotional it is for me. But like, if you come to people with that unfiltered, like they're not necessarily going to receive it in the best way. So uh, any I tools? have to read this book then. <laughs> yeah, right? Like this is, you can imagine, like, you know me, if I'm passionate about something, you know it. And like the way I say it, even, I know this about myself. Like I say things as though they're just fact. Like there's no questioning yet. I say it so confidently that it's like very clearly an opinion of mine that I, the way I say it though, is it's it, like irrefutably true. So, you know, sometimes what, as a professional public speaker, that is goes great for me because a lot of time when I'm speaking to people like oh my god you're right you're right you said it so confidently there's no way it could be wrong you know so like performance wise that helps but when you're actually trying to be productive that can be a barrier you know because you need people to criticize you need people to sort of do this back and forth with you to actually grow your own perspective as well so I needed some help toning it down a little bit and um you know communicating slightly more effectively than I was so yeah would recommend great great book yeah very useful i i I just i just have to read it um who is your celebrity crush (sighs) there's too many um uh, mm. oh i'm not gonna say that one that's embarrassing um uh, oh my god that one's embarrassing too okay (laughs) um i feel like it was somebody from like my youth that i had a crush on that i was like they could still get it All right, I'll tell you one of the embarrassing ones. Uh, Recently, Fuser, the game I'm working on, one of the songs we released as DLC was Ricky Martin's Live in La Vida Loca. Um, And that was one of my favorite CDs as a kid. And I had the biggest crush on Ricky Martin, like I think many of us did. Obviously, he's a gay man, but 
obviously I grew up to be a gay woman. So maybe it's a match made in heaven. And I, I was listening to the song recently because of the DLC infuser. And I was like, oh my God, like I still have such a crush on Ricky Martin. Like, cause I was listening to the vocals isolated as I was like writing about them. And I was like, blushing like Ricky stop 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 and like it was just his vocals so it was in my ear and it was so intimate and I was just like oh boy stop like (laughs) oh I love Ricky Martin I do he's talented he's beautiful I mean he's bold you know like he really stands for something and I like that um and you know Puerto Rican we love island men great thank you um what is the most useless talent that you have? Oh my God, the most useless talent that I have? There's a yes. lot of them. <laughs> I can go downstairs super fast, like crazy fast. I also walk really, really, really fast. Like I... With I those I, legs. True, true. I've got, I've got pretty long legs, but this is something that like, I have said out loud to multiple people before, I really do contribute some of my success to how fast I walk because I just get there first. You know, there are times when people are like, oh, we need a volunteer and it's just the first person who's in the room. And I'm like, I'm speedy bitch. I got there quick. Like, y'all got to speed up. Y'all got to keep up. I can walk really fast. I walk with purpose. If you see me, I look like I'm going somewhere important. If you stop me, I'll talk to you for 35 minutes because I'm not. I'll be like, oh, hey, I'm just going to Walgreens. What's up? You trying to come? No, because you can't keep up. (laughs) Oh, my God. And the last question that I love to end the interview with is, who inspires you the most? I don't know if I have just one person that inspires me more than others, but when you asked it, one person came to mind. It is actually um, a friend of mine who passed away well, you and I were in Spain, um, but she, her name is Megan Liddy, and she was like, we worked together uh, at my first ever job, and then we worked together at the second job when we both left that job because it sucked, um, and she was just this light, I mean, like a powerhouse of a woman and somebody who was super religious, she was very Christian, and I'm, I'm not, I was raised Catholic, but I, I, I'm not Christian, and um I really respect her because she was one of the, she's one of those people I met that like, she was very Christian and very inspired by her own religion, but in like the best possible way, right? Like she, to me, embodied what a a follower of Christ really looks like. Just like the most loving, hardest working, so humble, just like lived her life in service to others and never asked for anything, never felt like she deserved more because of it, never never um shied away from super hard work she was like the hardest working person I knew and she never put up with my bs even though she met me with total love and tolerance and acceptance she always called me out if I needed it like she just she knew she the way she navigated boundaries was just effortless like she knew exactly when you needed tough love and when you needed to be held and like I've never met somebody who shared so much of herself without wanting anything in return. Um, Yeah, her love of life and her love of me and her love of everybody around her that she ever came to contact with and the actions that that really um, exemplified what that love looked like. You know, it wasn't just her saying it. She showed up every time. If you needed her, she was there. If you 
needed her and you didn't know it, she was still there, you know, like she just, she, she is the best person I've ever known in my life because of her deep, 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 deep capacity for excellence and for love and for just light. You know, I, I don't know how to explain mm-hmm. it. She was, she was the best person I've ever known. And um, I, when I'm trying to be the best person I can be, I think of her. So, you know, when I think about being inspired, that's it. Unfortunately, I never met your friend, but she sounds like an incredible human being. I'm sorry if I brought some memories with this question, but thank you very much for sharing. No, don't apologize. It's, and you know what? I love an opportunity to, you know, speak her name into new spaces and keep her memory alive through my relationships with other people. So yeah, don't apologize. I love talking about her because it makes me feel close to her still. And, um, I think it is important for me to stay inspired by her and keep that memory alive because that energy didn't die. That love didn't die. None of that uh, changed at all. If anything, it got bigger and deeper. And like, I I can hear her laughing at me like, bro, you are so soft. Like, stop crying. Oh my God. Like, this is embarrassing. Like, I know that she would be clouding me so hard. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I, I think it's important to keep that that love and that connection strong so i'm always happy to to think about her and just show that gratitude for how much she did improve and mm-hmm. impact my life mm-hmm. thank you for this well with this i think we're going to wrap up is there anything else you, you would like to share at the end just that thank you for having me and i'm so proud of you for doing this and for you know putting yourself out there and making things i think it's hard to i struggle getting out of bed in this crazy global bullshit going on like I think anybody who chooses to start something uh in the face of all this is is really respectable and commendable so congratulations to you and and great work I'm really proud of you just keep doing it thank you so much Zoe. it means so much to me thank you and thank you for this incredible interview I can't wait for others to hear this same 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 and uh yeah I can't wait to hear more more of these from you Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.